So you guys are um, going to get stuck in my head a little bit today. So I hope it's not a complete disaster. Because um, I literally just have random words written um, in front of me. Thank you. Um, there's still water from yesterday. So I, I'm not sure how to get where I want to go with things. So if it falls apart, it falls apart. I'm sorry in advance. Um, and I've got some of the, the questions from prayer at the, in the background, so that if it all fails, we can go there. But um, it was intentional to start with life of a saint like Pope Krolos, um because I was debating in what order, to do like this segment of the talks first or the Pope Krolos. But I, I wanted to go in this order because I think we forget context all the time um, of what makes something matter, right? So we end up glorifying objects, ideas, people, um, and completely forget the point of them, right? And I think especially in uh, 21st century North America in particular, um, where identity politics is the core of everything, um, and where who is in control of the narrative is a big deal, um, that I think we completely forget that we belong to an objective narrative um, and start identifying with a million other things that are not us, um, that are really, if you understand the gospel, well, they're not anyone, um, but that we need to reclaim if we can understand. So a lot of the questions were about prayer and about exercises, which are good and they're important. I'm actually glad, I was very, as Hong Ambamina, I was very impressed that the majority of your questions weren't political. It was really nice, actually. Um, and so, but to understand prayer, to understand Bible, to understand virtue, you have to know the narrative. And so... I'm sorry to those who have heard me talk about it a million times. It's just that you can't have a conversation about those things if you don't replug in, right? So if you don't know where you came from, you have no meaning. Then you're just random. So I think the image that I like for framing narrative just as a, as a, as a sense of self, just to get a sense of it in history, is, is Moses, actually, um, the prophet. Because... I think Moses is somebody that many of the youth today on some level could relate to um, in the sense of dude was born by no fault of his own, right, into a context of slavery, um, which he had no idea about. His mom throws him in a basket. His daughter follows it. He gets hooked up by fluke um, with Pharaoh's daughter, as the narrative has it. Um, who raises him as their own, but also has a bit of a raising with his biological mother. So he's got a mixed narrative here, right? He's part Jew, right? Part Egyptian. He's not e Egyptian enough for the Egyptians, not Jewish enough for the Jews, right? Then messes up royally in a fit of, of solidarity with his, he doesn't really know what they are, kills someone, right? And then his people being like, oh, wow, you killed for us. They're like, are you going to kill us now? Um, so he bounces um, and then finds himself in narrative number three with pagans, right? We actually, we're not really sure what Jethro was, to be honest. He might not have been a pagan. Um, 
and then stumbles into God, right? Stumbles into God and has absolutely no idea who God is. That's one of his first questions is, well, who are you, right? Which is a very honest question and a very framing question um, of who are you? And he clearly doesn't even get it then because even when God himself is saying, I'd like you to do this, Moses' reaction is like, nah, not me, right? And it's like, that's, that's God, um, that you're saying, nah, not me too, right? But God's response is interesting, and I'm going to get to that because part of what I want to talk about is that if you don't know who God is, then you don't know who you're praying to. Um, and if you don't know who you're praying to, your prayer life is going to suck because if you are just reading a script, then you're rehearsing for yourself, right? So that's what I mean is like there's these things are going to, I hope, all connect, right? So things only have meaning because people make meaning, right? So by that, what I mean is somebody could hand you a rock. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with a rock, right? But let's say the person paddle-boated to South Africa to get your particular rock because they know you like rocks. Suddenly that rock has meaning, right? Like now it's a different kind of rock. It was always just a rock, right? But now the rock had meaning. We give things meaning, is what I'm trying to get at. When you create something, you give it meaning. Why am I starting that? To first state the obvious, is that as in the Christian narrative, we're created, right? Regardless of the mechanism of creation, Right? One of the founding principles of our doctrine is that we were created ex nihilo. Right? That we were created from nothing. And that means something. We're not saying it for fun. Okay? There were other creation narratives in the world that did not have that. Right? It was actually a very unique thing. Because if it's made out of nothing, it begs the question of, well, why did you make it? What is the meaning of your making? Right? Because if it was just there and you were playing around with it, then the narrative would be different. Then it'd be like, we're just toys, you were bored. That was a very Babylonian view of things. Right? Somebody pissed off their godfather, literally, right? So they made humans to fill their needs. Right? It's a very different meaning. Right? Whereas the, the narrative that we're telling, that we believe is rooted in truth, and we'll get to that, right, is saying that God didn't need to make, he wanted to make. And that in his wanting to make, it begs the question, like, did you need or did you want? Because if you need, that changes my meaning, right? If you needed somebody to just shout, you're so awesome, you're so cool, and be your cheerleader, right? Then that would be our identity, and that's all we need to do. But it's not. It's not even what he asked us, right? Whereas what he wanted was nothing, right? There was no thing that he needed that he wanted. He's like, I want to be fulfilled in this. Begetting is a product of his identity, right? Which is also why begetting is a product of yours, right? This is why we are co-creators with him as an act of love, right? It is the reason why the most physically intimate act of union results in new life. It's not, it's not accidental, right? Why not accidental? Because he said, I'm making you very different. I'm giving you my DNA. Right? I'm giving you the image and likeness. I'm making you as I am, and I don't have to do that. So in him doing that, he gave us the meaning. So when people have like 12-hour or 12-decade-long conversations about what's the meaning of life, I think it's so simple. 
right? Like it was already given to you. You don't need to figure it out. Um, have fun, but it's it's there, right? It is to live and exist in him, through him, with him. That's all. We just are. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to get to, because I think we frame Christian life a lot of times as what are we supposed to do? When the question is, who are you supposed to be? And if you focus your spiritual life on what just actions, you're not living in a relationship. And that's all he wanted. When God created, he just like, so here's the earth. Till it, subdue it. Chill. Go have kids. He actually said that. Before the fall. Right? It was like, now that you have fallen, now have kids. Um, he, he literally just said, chill out, we're fam. And that's it. We started making things, and that's not wrong, to show meaning. Right? Once we start divorcing the things from meaning, they lose meaning. Right? Many things are very simple. We just don't think about them. Right? So, for example, who decided that we have birthday parties? I have no idea. It's a thing. Right? You could stop having birthday parties. The world will go on. Right? But when you have a birthday party, you're trying to give some kind of meeting. We're saying in some social way that we invented, we value you. We're happy you're alive for some reason. Okay? Um, and then everybody parties and you spend a lot of money. Because then what happens when in a relationship you reduce the appreciation to birthday parties? Suddenly a thing that was very meaningful becomes very offensive. I was saying, why have you reduced our relationship to just buying me stuff when actually all I really want is to spend time with you, for example? Right? Then suddenly meaning has changed even though the action was the same. Right? So again, I'm trying to get back to principles to understand how the, the dynamic of, of spiritual life works. So in this process of God making us and wanting us to just be who we are, like that, that's all he wanted in relationship with him, in unity with him. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to articulate what I mean by that because in, in him adopting us, being united to him, is part of identity. That's why I'm always flip-flopping between calling it a goal or calling it identity, because it's, it's, it's already what you are, right? By virtue of being born to someone, you're already their kid. So you can't make a goal of being their kid, you already are, right? It's how to be a good son, but you don't really have an option of being one, right? That's why I'm just saying even the rest of the world, if they understood the reality of creation, they're all the sons and daughters of God. Claim their identity, don't claim their identity, they all are, right? And in that context, and I'm start talking about the rubrics, the, the very beginning of things, to say that everything in the narrative of history is plugged into that, right? Every single thing we do on some level must be plugged into that. If it's not, it has no meaning, right? So, for example, God created me gave me his image and likeness, also gave me the Holy Spirit, which I lost, right, according to Cyril and Athanasius. And from it, I had incorruption and immortality, right? So I'm not going to get into all of that tonight because I want to go in a different direction. But the result of that, right, that could be its own series. 
gives meaning to sacraments. A sacrament unplugged from that narrative is meaningless. It only means something because it's rooted in a real event of creation, rooted in a real event of incarnation, rooted in a real event of crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost. Outside of those real events, they're just symbols which mean nothing. They only have meaning because they're true. They only have meaning because they're, they're rooted in reality. And I'm, I'm overemphasizing reality, 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 because I don't think we live like it's real. We, really, we live like it's a cool theory or a philosophy or a moral system. If you reduce Christianity to that, then you're in the suckiest religion in the world, no offense. The only thing giving Christianity any merit is that it's true. Really. Other than that, it's, it's not the strongest, it's not the mightiest. You could have people philosophize over 100 million things. We're only believing what we do because it's true. Right? That Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And if he is who he is, then the rest follows. We don't believe in Jesus Christ as God because the Bible said so. We first believe in Jesus Christ because he said so. And they wrote about him in the Bible. That's the secondary. The primary is, primary is who is Christ. Because if Christ is really truly God, then we are now in the context of reality. Who is he? Where did he come from? Oh, he comes from the Jews. So now there's merit lent to the history of the Jews. What gave, the Ju gave Judaism merit is that Christ is who he is. Right? That where it's through that lens, the lens of Christ, that we're viewing that. Or saying, well, he came from this, so what did it mean? Right? Where did they come from? And then from there we get this other part of the narrative right, that we're using. And in that history, in that context, we can go somewhere. It's like, for example, today in the States, you've got 100 million mass shootings. It's not like we're doing that much better in Canada, but whatever. Um, but then what is the argument? The Constitution, right? What does this amendment mean? What does the right to bear arms mean? In asking that question, and I'm not here to discuss guns, but my point is, see where it looks like in real life, you enter a narrative. Where did the Constitution come from? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? Right? What was behind, what was the back of their minds when they wrote that? Right? You're automatically entering, entering into a narrative. Right? And then that begs the question, well, were they right? Who cares that the Constitution says that? Well, we can write a new Constitution. They can. Right? Whereas in entering the narrative, and that's what I'm saying, is that when we start asking spiritual questions like, what is prayer on the one hand or why can't i have sex before marriage on the other hand all of these are part of a narrative there's an objective reason why and it's identity and the reason i'm trying to get there is that if you start recognizing christianity is an identity not an idea not a moral system your whole way of living spiritually changes because now you're not talking about it, you're talking about a whom. Whom with regards to God and whom with regards to myself. This is one of the reasons why the greatest of Anthony said, he who knows himself knows God. Right? It's, you can take decades to unpack that. Because if I say, what does dad want? I say, oh, send him gifts. Is that what dad wants? Right in the in the naming of somebody as dad, I've already identified a relationship. 
I've called someone dad, which means I'm kid. Who is dad and who is kid? What is dad? What is kid? What is fatherhood? What is sonship? Right? It moves us into the words of nouns, which we're trying to cancel in 21st century. Right? We just want adjectives. But there are such things as nouns. So if there are nouns, what are the definitions? Right? And, and, and which ones are they? Because then you can start to find that sin, for example, the why am I not allowed questions, are often questions of identity. Right? It's saying that, okay, if God actually made me, what did he make me to be? And we said image and likeness. So if God has designed this, he's saying this is how it functions good. It's very good. When you go against design, you run into problems. Not because I'm annoyed at you. Because it goes against your actual structure. Right? If I take this mic and decide it's my gum holder, and shove gum all over it, I can. Like, I, I'm allowed to do that. I physically can do that. There's no, nothing holding me back from doing that. It just won't work for what it was designed for. Right? It might work at first. Eventually, it won't. It's damage. That's sin. So, sin is just an identity crisis. It's you wanting to function how you're not supposed to function. That's all it is. Right? It's not about a legal code of God posting a constitution and saying, you broke these four, you were 50% on this one, right? Let me slam you 10 years in undergrad and not get med school and make you not get the job you want because medicine is the ultimate goal of all cops, right? So, which is yet how many of people to think, right? Of being like, I feel like I didn't do well because I didn't fast on Wednesday and my mom told me, Right? Do you think that's what it is? Okay, but now I fasted and I read my Bible and I memorized the Psalms and I prayed every day and I still bond my exam. It's a ludicrous question, but it's not asked ludicrously. Right? It's asked like, James, like what, what happened? Right? Where it's just like, who operates like that? Would you do that to people? Right? Like, you didn't bow down to me enough. I was going to give it to you, but I felt you were missing a little bit of praise. When you, no. If that's how God is, then why would he tell you not to be that, right? But he made you exactly as he is. That's not how he is, right? Whereas if we go back to origins, he's like, just chill. That's what he wants. Be in communion. We're just family, right? So then that leads to, so then what's my role in the kingdom? To be a prince or a prince with whatever gifts he gave you. Because all of his kids have different gifts. They all have access to all, to all the virtues, sorry. Um, they have access to all the virtues. The gifts are different, right? The particular gifts in the functioning of the family, right? So part of your role, if you want to learn how to pray, is to discover your gift, right? We have a very monastic uh, culture to the Coptic Church, which is, is God's benefits. Its negatives are that it's sometimes overly focused on no, no, you have no gifts. Is it right? But you, you do. It's an insult to God, not to us, to say there's no gifts, right? Because your dad is rich, right? And your dad is giving everybody stuff to use for everybody, right? So if I start, so what is pride? If I start showing off dad's money like it was mine, 
then I'm doing something wrong. If I'm using dad's money to abuse my siblings, that is wrong. But if I'm using dad's money to serve the family, that's great. That's what it's for. And what does he say? If you use your money wisely, I give you more. Right? So the person, for example, who has the gift of being a listener might develop compassion because of their listening. The development of compassion might lead to discipleship. The development of discipleship leads to X, leads to Y, leads to Z, and, and so on. Right? Another person has a different gift, but when every single member of the community is doing it, everyone's happy. Right? And you and what are you going to talk to God about? His work. Because you're participating in it. Right? So there's somebody who's got the, the gift of, of meditation and their insight into it leads them to different understandings, right? Like we see in the Desert Fathers where they created a corpus of literature to help us navigate. That's a gift to the whole church that they were able to arrive at through their own particular gifts. Others have the gift of taking that, applying it, and teaching it to other people, right? Others are caring for your elders, for your tons and uncles and tetas and giddos, right? Other people are taking care of little kids and have all the patience in the world for when they vomit on their shoes. Right? These are all different gifts. But if I'm excited that God is saying, hey, I want you to participate in the running of our family, right? Then part of what I'm going to communicate with him about is going to be about the family. Of being like, okay, so you asked me to get done, one, two, three, I did. Um, I'm really struggling with so-and-so. Um, this person irritates the heck out of me, but I'm trying. I know you said to be nice. Um, maybe add a little bit more money for the niceness. Um, but is you have a, a thing to talk about. But again, that's part of the talking. Another part of talking, again, is we're in relationship. What do you talk to people about? Life. And when you talk to people, do you only talk about yourself? And is communication only talking? Right? We, we want to reduce prayer to words, but that's not how most of us function. How many of the people that you care about in your life are you talking to 24-7? And if you do, you need to quit. Okay? It's probably unhealthy. Right? Is that your, your communication is not limited to blah, 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 blah. Right? And then much of our prayer is about ourselves. Right, of like, I'm just this, I'm just that, I just wanna, I just, like, I don't know whether I just comes out in prayer all the time. Um, Lord, I just wanna insert whatever. How often is it, Lord, you? Right, there's a, a hermit, Abuna Mina al Ma'eri, who he was sitting with a, a crew and he was saying he recommends to people. When they're, when they're praying, he's like, after you read the Bible, just take what you read in the Bible and say it back to Christ as a statement. And I'm like, what an easy, awesome tip, right? Like, let's say you read the story of the widow who lost her son, right? Is to then look at Christ and say, you're the one who takes pity on the widow. You're the one who raises the dead. You're the one who has compassion. It's such an easy tip to make it not about you. Right? So that you're suddenly talking to God about who He is. And then link it to who He is is also who you're supposed to be. 
Because then now, let's say you start bringing up other topics like I hate my coworker. You might start off with I can't stand my coworker, but I'm not supposed to. Don't deal with me like you do with the Pharisees, please. Now you have data about God, right? Look at how you reacted to the Pharisee in the temple. Like, thank God I'm not like all these other people, right? Instead, treat me like Nicodemus because I'm on the fence, but I'm trying to figure it out. Messing, right? But you're now talking to a who with characteristics rooted in reality because the incarnation is real. It'll be on repeat to come into contact with who he is, right? In the same way then that how do you make decisions? Again, the whole goal of this talk, I'm sorry that I'm all over the place, is to say just how are you thinking about things, right? This can lead to a million different things. It's a horrible talk and I'm sorry in advance, okay? But how do I make decisions? Because everybody gets hung up on the, well, what is God's will? And it's like, well, if we look at the narrative, how often was God micromanaging anyone in history? Because am I trying to shove on God a personality or a mindset or a way of being that is not his own? Where he just said, just, just do it. When I need something, I'll let you know. Right? How will, you let you, how will I let you know if you're in communication with me? Right? So if you're not in communication with me, then yes, it's going to be hard to hear me not because I'm not talking because you're not home. You hate living at home. And I respect your will. If we have some way of communicating, we have some way of talking. Right? Hence, all of these other things that we talk about, like the lies of the saints. That's a very valid way to learn about God in a particular way. The Bible is an obvious one. Right? But the Bible that many of us read as homework of check, did it med school please? Right? If instead it was, who are you? Every time that you read, you'd have a sense, again, of who God is. Right? Of being able to say, well, actually, why am I expecting this God when I don't see anywhere in the history of humanity, which is what Bible is writing about, that just a narrative of God's interaction with humanity over time. Right? Why am I expecting this? Right? I overuse this example, but like, I'm, I love Abraham, right? But if you look at one of the verses, it says Abraham was fourscore and six years old when the Lord said he was 86 years old. And then the next verse says, and then he was 99 when the Lord spoke again. And Abraham is the guy who talked with God regularly. It was a 13-year gap, right? And I'm like, why is the Lord not answering me right now? I was like, he never, like, he rarely does that. Is there anything urgent? Do you really think that whether or not you should buy this house or that is why the Lord of hosts should stand before you in this moment. Why? Right? You've got the same, like, you've got St. Peter, again, who's being like, get away from me. And then you've got me, Dad, right? <laughs> I've summoned you for your five-minute session. Here's my list. Right? Like, who, who is he? Who are you? <laughs> right? This is... Like, if you're not paying attention, 
right? You don't know how ludicrous what you're sometimes doing or saying is. And if you did, you'd recognize the beauty of God that he's not even angry, right? Like, he's not even like, yes, salam, right? Like, and I'll have a back and forth with you. He's completely fine. He's like, that's my kid. Um, this one's audacious, right? Um, and that's all it is to him, right? Like, he's not like, but he's, and then, we'll, and then we blame him, right? And he's fine with that, right? Like, like, like that's, that's the beauty of him, right? Of that he just is, that's his name, right? But we're the ones who apply. So then it becomes, okay, well then, well then how do I even make this decision? Which is a great question. Then it becomes, well, what, how do I even make a decision? That's I'm trying to plug everything into each other. Well, what's my identity? Does this thing go against my identity? Where does this thing fall in the goal of making sure I remain in the image and likeness of God? So step number one, is anything dogmatically, emphatically, absolutely right or wrong? If there is something wrong, it's a no-brainer, it's done. If it isn't, great. You have freedom. Now the question is, within the context of me, is there something more right or wrong? And here, it's not in the absolute. Here, I wouldn't even call it right and wrong. It would be like, I might make a mistake. And who cares? Forgive me, and a mistake's not a sin, right? A mistake's just a mistake, right? Level one is right or wrong. Level one is identity. Level two is options, right? Because then I'm not gonna be so worked up. Maybe, maybe it was a dumb idea to apply to this program, right? Or maybe it's like, yeah, it's a really dumb idea that I want this program, but nothing's wrong with it. I'll pay $100 million and pay for this program. Cool, so what, right? Like that's not wrong. You're free, right? And this is, this is the liberty of the gospel, right? Of saying that what binds you is, is, is your own disease. You're only going to be bound when you go against your identity, not because I'm even punishing you, but because you won't, know how to, you won't be able to function properly, right? It's like, I overuse, I have a disease, I can't eat half a million things, I have a million sensitivities, right? So... My not eating them frees me from the side effects, right? That when I eat them, I can't function, right? So am I allowed to eat them? Yeah, I, I'm allowed. I can eat them, right? Or said another way, it's like when somebody is, um, somebody's struggle with why am I not allowed to do X is the equivalent of being angry that you're not a bird, or angry that you're not a fish, of being like, I don't know who made this rule that I'm not allowed to breathe through my lungs water, but I want to hold them accountable, right? You don't think like that. If you do, no comment. But that's what we don't realize about what we're doing. Because if I recognize that the Lord is actually happy that I'm happy, as long as that I'm happy healthily for me, I'm not going to freak out about every single thing that happens. Because the Lord remains dad and remains with me through all of it. Even when I mess up. Right? Again, how do I know that? Through the narrative. So I'm trying to, to connect all of these. Of being like, okay, but all these other people messed up. Did God d ditch them? No. Right? So another person's like, well, I don't know if I can approach him, like the woman that we read about in the last few nights because St. Mary's fast. Right? Where something that strikes me about that story 
is how God didn't make her say anything. Right? When she came to him begging forgiveness, right? He wasn't like, what'd you do? Even that is an insight into who dad is, right? Of being like, I already know. This is already prayer. You're already communicating it to me. There is a communication right there with no words. This is a communication of action, a communication of service. And service is a valid way of prayer, right? Another person might be able to sit in nature and just see it as this gigantic icon of God, and that's prayer. I was saying, I see your beauty in this. That's prayer. It's not invalid. It's time spent with and for God. What is the highest form of prayer? Praise. And why is praise the highest form of prayer? It has nothing to do with God wanting it. Right? God never, when he created us, never said, please, ever. Right? Praise is the least possibly selfish thing available to you. Praise is not saying, I like you because you give me. It's not saying, hey, I need you. Could you do me a favor? Um, I really would like. And those are allowed. Again, we're not, we're not vilifying those. It's saying, you just rock. Think of how you feel when somebody just notices something nice about you and says it, and nothing else. It means a lot, right? It actually often throws people off because no one does it anymore, right? Usually it's like, let me tell you what's wrong with you um, in the nicest way possible or not so nice or on Twitter. Actually, no one uses Twitter anymore. But being able to say something like, wow, that was really intelligent. That's it. People are like, really? Because um, like, it's weird. Or just being able to say like, wow, that was some patience you showed there. I don't, I don't know that I would have the patience to, to deal with that situation the way that you did. It makes people feel incredible. So the highest form of prayer is praise. In my personal view, that's why the highest form of praise as a human being, in my view, is to live rightly. Because you can't become better than what God already designed you to be. So if you actually function the way you're designed, there is no higher praise because it is very good, right? This is, again, to tie it to, to, to Bible. In the Old Testament, when most of us skip the chapters in Leviticus, right? Um, I think there's some themes under there that are very telling, where he says things like, if you want to take a rock and make an altar, don't hew it, don't carve it. Just take it and use it as is. It's good. Why? Because it's just good. Right? You don't need to beautify it. Right? The minute you need to decorate something, on some level you're saying it wasn't good as it is. That's why I had to make it more pretty. Right? The work is our way of showing meaning. But then that will tie into liturgy. And again, I'm all over the place on purpose to say, change your thinking. 
maybe that'll make more sense to why we say things to God like, we offer unto you these things from what is yours. Because it's like, well, what do we offer you? You gave us money. So we're taking your money. It's like a little kid where like mom and dad gave them allowance and buying mom and dad a birthday gift with their allowance, right? Really, mom and dad bought their own gift, right? But is there a deep meaning in the child taking that money and putting it back? Absolutely, right? Of saying, I could have, knowing that it's yours anyway and knowing that you're going to give me more when I need it, right? Just not got you anything you would have understood, right? And I really want the Nintendo Switch, right, is saying, I don't know what else to, to do because I, I've got nothing. And that's why the best response is the giving him of ourselves. That's the highest form of praise. Now, if God gave you his image and likeness, including freedom, the highest level of spirituality is, and this is tough, to give my will back. Right? Of saying, I freely give you my freedom. Right? There's nothing higher than that. Right? And then, like, get ready for battle because that's not fun. Um, because it's like, okay, then you're in for a ride because that's what I did. I, I the sovereign one, offered my freedom and you guys literally crucified me. Um, and they'll do to you what they do to me. Right? But then, that's the level where in offering what is yours, I give you what is mine. And you grow in this potential of this life-giving spirit that I gave you that fell, that I fixed in the incarnation. So you have all links so that you're different. This is why Pope Crotalus was a wonder worker and clairvoyant. They weren't magic tricks. Right? He offered unto God the things that are his from what is his, and the Lord gave him what is his own. Right, And so the human has the potential beyond the biology because he's now alive in the spirit. And if he's alive in the spirit, he's alive in the Trinity, and God is dwelling in him, the real Trinity, who really exists, who really created, who really sent the Son, who really was incarnate, who really died, rose, ascended, who really sent the Holy Spirit. These are all real. Right? And if we don't know how to think about those things, your spiritual life is going to be stuck to four walls. Here's my list. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I did the prayers. Nothing happened. God's not answering me. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I give up for six months. I write, I'm ready to try again because I want to get into something. Okay, it didn't work. Oscillate, 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 oscillate. If the oscillations were going like this, like amazing, right? So often it's this or this, right? Resounds, peace out, thanks a lot. God might be real, but not for me, right? And then that's, that's how the trajectory goes. And so I'm saying if, if you want to grow, fix this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? That... All actions proceed from this. And the battleground of everything in your life starts right here. If this is not sound, nothing that follows will be sound. 
your way of seeing will all be wrong. You'll find it logical, but it's wrong, right? You've put on a completely wrong set of glasses, and so instead of it correcting your vision, it's distorting vision, and then you're making judgments with distorted vision. And that's why the starting point of real spiritual life is what Moses asked. Who are you? Ask yourself if you ever ask that question and what work you're putting in for that. Because God himself is happy to reveal himself because he has already revealed himself in time. He's also happy to interact individually. He's also happy to interact communally because he designed communion. But if I don't know who he is, then I'm fake living a narrative. And if I'm fake living the narrative, I don't get the fruits of that narrative, right? I don't have the understanding of it and I walk confused. I think I will leave it at that. Are there any, we have like five minutes, are there any questions? Um, if not, we'll wrap up, right? That's a good question. So the question is, like, find God, who are you through what my life or through scripture? What if in scripture? It's all of them. Do you think that inspiration stopped after revelations? Like, did the Holy Spirit be like, okay, we're done. The Holy Spirit's still working, right? So it's all of the above. God is working in your life, and he worked through history and in scripture. He's in all of them. So then it becomes not, I don't like this who God is, right? Like, this God is scary. It becomes, I don't understand this. Why not, I know you're not saying this, but we socially are like, God shouldn't um, X, right? And it's like, so then what's God, right? Like, how did you decide that God should or shouldn't? God's the one who decides should or shouldn't. So the real question becomes, why, God, why? Did you react this way? Right? And that's something that will change even how you meditate. You might be like, hmm, when Our Lady the Virgin said, how can this be? Top, top. When Zechariah did, it was, you ain't going to talk for six months. Why? This person questioned and this person questioned. Why this reaction and why this reaction? That will change how you meditate. Right? And that's why as you go through the whole cycle of the Bible, right, of being able to be like, okay, what was the context? What's going on? Where is this in history? And then I think it's a great question because that becomes then how do I read the Bible? It's its own topic. But now the how to read the Bible is about a real thing, about a real person as opposed to an activity, right? Then it becomes how do I enter into the life of that God to understand who he is and why he's saying that. So it's all of the above. And through the experience of others, for example, and I know I'm rambling again, but God is immaterial. That's his substance. He's immaterial. What is most people's major complaint about God? That he's immaterial. 
right? People get mad about prayer saying, I know but a person I can talk to and touch and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, right, he's not. Right? That's, 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 he, that's not his nature. God is spirit and he them that worship, worship in spirit and truth. So why am I mad at him for being who he is? So then it becomes, well, then how do I interact with spirits? Aha, I have something called the spirit. Hmm. Right? Because when people talk about spiritual life, they're talking about some floaty orb, right, that they do random acts to, right? And then we have some, like, messed up social culture of, like, I'm spiritual but not religious, which is complete nonsense, right? I'm bodily but not physical. How? Right? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, in doing that, it becomes okay. Well, how, how did we? How and then how does God interact with us? What was God's solution for that? Right? He was like, I know it's hard to love me because you can't see me. So start by loving everybody because everyone is me. Treat everyone like me. Right? He made it ridiculously simple. So it is all of the above, in in short answer. Any other sick buzz? Um, I'm not sure what we're going to do tomorrow yet because I, I think there's one concept I want to tackle tomorrow, but we'll see. And then Sunday is uh, the Q&A. Amen. Alleluia. Look, seven, three.